0: my, my great auntie and I would just sit there and watch the footy show and almost footy legends. We lived for it, we loved it, just to watch these crazy marks in country leagues all around Australia. And then one night, I'm on there. Now I knew I took this mark, but I had no idea. We go forward about four or five weeks to the grand final footy show, it won. Uh, and the other one that I took came third in that competition. I won a car. Huge moment, I've got just just got my driver's license. I've just won a car and I'm I'm on TV. It turns out, the, uh, the the TFL weren't happy because it was their video. So I didn't get the car. Oh. They took it off me.
1: You're kidding me? <laughs> it's a true story. That's a bit rough. <laughs> it's very rough. <laughs> <laughs> Sports fans and welcome to Quinny's Cult Heroes. Thanks to the Ladbrokes Listen Network. Our very special guest today, a man that soared high and proud for the Melbourne Footy Club. He played 228 wonderful games, kicked a hell of a lot of goals and took some great marks. A warm
0: welcome to Russell Robertson. Oh, jeez. That's pumped me right up. I'm ready to play another game.
1: I played it dad. I was going to throw in some best and fairest, your yeah, leading goal kicking awards, but I thought, no, I'll just play it
0: softly and just ease you into it. Don't want to get your head yourself, Robbo. Well, mate, I'm a family. Man, now and I'm home a lot with the kids, and I try to tell them how great I was. It's nice to get out and talk to someone that actually knows. <laughs> now, how old are your kids now? Well, I've got a twelve year. old I've got a couple of stepsons and a, and one of my own, and they are firmly into their sport at the moment, and you know, high school as well. So, two in high school, one in primary, and it's um, it's been a really different journey for me. Um, having my own son, um, knowing that I played AFL football. Being told that I played AFL football, now starting to understand that that's pretty significant because he hits high school and everyone's talking about it. And two step kids that have a lot of respect uh, for me. It's um, it's been a kind of a nice little time of late. The guys are starting, the boys, because they're three boys, obviously, they're starting to understand that AFL football was was pretty special. So I've been telling them for a long time, but now they're starting to get it. And what sports <laughs> are they into? Footy, basketball? Yes. Yeah, the footy, basketball, mate. When you and I were growing up, it was footy, cricket, right? Um, Basketball's really, it's, it's a renaissance period again, and the boys are really into basketball, which tends to get us travelling a fair bit. But we love it. You know, it's great to see them out there enjoying themselves. So
1: involved with the Sandringham Sabres, which yes. means lots of Friday night trips. Our area, mate, down our neck <laughs> of the woods,
0: we bump into it. We love our basketball, you and I. Um, and yes, a lot of. I think basketball, as we all know, is is Victoria wide. If you're playing, it doesn't matter. It just it doesn't. With football, you play in the one area, um, and, and and you can get it done that way. But with basketball. You're all over the place, and it's always Friday night with the rep basketball when the traffic's at its worst. (laughs) Geelong, you don't want to play down there because the work's going on on that road at the moment. It's a killer. Now, you were a young bloke who grew up in Tassie down at Penguin. No basketball around there then? There was, and look, to be honest with with you, Penguin on the northwest coast of Tasmania and that area, basketball was pretty big. But it just wasn't as popular as cricket was, um, I guess, for us lads. And I played cricket at school, and I tried basketball. I wasn't any good at it. Um, my boy, who my my son, he's quite clever, um, and it doesn't get it from me. Um, we'll see how he goes with the football because he's only just started out that on that road. But yeah, it just wasn't as popular um, amongst us boys. But certainly, um, we had some some great basketballers. We're always talking about the imports coming into Penguin, and we had a bloke by the name of Marty Clark. He was my sports teacher. He's actually at the uh, he was at the AOS. Um, very, very good basketball and very well respected. He was our guy in Penguin and, uh, you know, it was there, but we just didn't do it as much.
1: It surprises me you weren't good because I reckon you would have been pretty suited to basketball with your smarts and your agility and your athleticism, which would be attributes that normally a basketballer would love to have. I was good on the boards, yep,
0: (laughs) good defensively, which is stark contrast to my football. (laughs) No good defensively with football, but with basketball, I think – I had a real issue. My problem was I just couldn't get it in the hoop.
1: Okay. Shooting was a minor issue. <laughs> it was a minor issue. Well, lucky that was your one uh, wood when it came to the footy because you are a wonderful kicker goal. I could get it
0: through the goals.
1: And you could take a mark. Yeah. And a lot of people like hearing how did you get so good at marking. Tell yeah. us about that tale.
0: Well, it's something that naturally I was good at marking and I think we've all got our natural attributes with, with you know, whatever sport we choose to play My father was the one that sort of decided that if we're going to make this kid any good at something, we're going to make that one thing, his one wood, the best thing, Um, rather than a parent that says, we're going to work on the whole game and we're going to do the ground balls. We're going to, yes, we did bits of that. But dad had this insane focus on my high marking. He knew I wasn't going to be tall because he's not tall. Mum's not tall. But he could see that, geez, once he gets his hands on the ball, he tends to not drop it. So let's work on a boy. And without telling me that, he started to just year by year, day by day, month by month, year by year, work on this high marking thing. So we had a trampoline. We had a, a largish front yard down in this small town where I grew up. And he'd get me on the trampoline and he'd get me jumping off it and he'd throw the ball up and I'd catch it and I'd land on the ground. And it was a lot of fun for an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12-year-old. We even had a tree. And I'd climb the tree. He'd push the trampoline underneath the tree. I'd jump out of the branch, onto the trampoline. He'd try to throw the ball and I'd have to catch it. <laughs> it was so much fun. And if I tried to do it now, I'd break every bone in my body or every muscle would, would, would uh, obviously uh, stretch too much to breaking point. But there was other things as well. So as time progressed, he, there was one contraption that he created, and this is the story really. We had a shed. Um, in the front yard, and he got a 4B2. He's a woodwork, metalwork teacher, my dad. A bit of a left field. He's a very artistic man. And he wasn't great at football, but very quick, uh, very intelligent guy. Um, he's still alive, so i talk about him as though he's not around anymore, but he's still alive. <laughs> he's in Alice Springs at the moment on uh, doing the grey nomad thing with mum. Uh, but he got one of mum's stockings, put a football that I had in the leg of the stocking. Then he got one of my uh, rubber inner tubes from my 10-speed, Hold one cut that in half and tie one end into the to the stocking one into the four by, 4 by two off the shed and then so you basically got this ball hanging on this you know obviously an elastic sort of setup um, and I talk a lot about and when I do my talks to young kids you know um, your training is is everything right your application to training your enjoyment in training is everything we know that Don Bradman back in the day growing up, He had the corrugated iron water tank. This is folklore. Every Australian should know this. In fact, it should be on your citizenship (laughs) questionnaire if you're coming into this country. How did Don Bradman get so good at cricket? Well, he had a cricket stump. He had a golf ball. And off that corrugated iron um, or or concrete or whatever it was, a surface off the water tank, he would hit the ball back and forth, trying to get his eye in, try to hit the middle of the stump, try to get it to – his eye just became so good, and that's why he became the greatest sportsman of all time. Now, I'm not putting myself in a Don Bradman um, echelon, but Dad created this thing for me. And my uh, days, my weekends were spent playing with this contraption, jumping, catching the ball, bringing the ball to the ground, letting it go, and it would always just go back to that perfect spot. Mates would come around, would wind it around a couple of times, And then one of us would stand under it, would jump on the back, grab the ball, and would be yelling out the names, of course, Jezzelenko, Bazasto, being a Carlton supporter, of course, growing up, and then, you know, Capper and Ablett and all those sorts of things as time went by. and It was just the best fun. But the fact that my dad made this for me was extra special. And it doesn't sound like much, but it was huge. And then time progresses. I get older, 14, 15, he goes and buys a ruck bag. Uh, with the straps, puts it on his back and he'd throw the ball up and he'd bend over and I'd take the hangers. And we worked a thousand hours on this, more, uh, to become a great aerialist. That was his thing. I'm going to make this kid an aerialist because – I was and, – and the whole reason – I know I'm going on a long time – the whole reason he set this up for me is because he watched how frustrated I was getting in games, how frustrated I was getting in kick-to-kick with mates, that I just wasn't marking it, even though I could mark it, because they were uh, taller. So he said, well, why don't you just stand off them, jump into their sho- uh, to their hips, and get above their hands? And for me, this training, it worked, because obviously when they know the tail of the tape is – I uh, went on to become an aerialist in the AFL, and the only reason I played in the AFL is because I took a couple of marks in the Tassie Mariners that won the Almost Footy Legends, got me there, and then I continued to do my thing.
1: We'll get to that in just a sec. So a lot of these high-flying athletes, it's natural ability, it's their good high jumpers that play AFL footy. With yours, it was a talent that you got good at by just working relentlessly.
0: Yes, 100%. And it's trying to get this thing to my three boys now, this ideal, this idea that... If you get told something and you go and try it once or do it a couple of times, you might be okay at it. But if you are able to somehow do this a thousand times, I say it to my boys now, do it a thousand times. Teaching them one of the boys at the moment to play guitar who wants to learn Blackbird by Beatles. I give him the first intro bit, go and do it a thousand times. Don't come back to me until you've done it a thousand times. And off they go. They know a thousand times. But it's, it's in your head. Do you have the aptitude, do you have the attitude to want to be able to be, to be able to prefer, perfect this one thing. So my training was, and I'm probably going off the question a little bit, my training and my uh, natural ability was, yes, it was for marking, but it was also listening and then doing. So if a coach spoke to me, if my dad spoke to me and dad says this, Chris Fagan, who's my absolute mentor in life, says this about me, uh, my ability to to feel make somebody that's talking to me feel respected by listening and clocking and eyes, and I say this to the kids all the time, then to go away and try and apply um, made the person that was teaching feel good, which made them want to give me more. Mm-hmm. And then that conversation between other coaches, that's a good kid. You should talk to that kid and give him some of your... I was getting all this gold purely by just, and a lot of good kids, good footballers miss this because they probably feel like they know it already and they don't make the person that's talking to them feel good. So that was my ability. Marking, yes, but my ability to listen and listen well, listen the right way, um, I think was the reason that I was able to go as far as I did.
1: Now the Footy Show and almost Footy Legends. It was there for a bit of Footy entertainment, but it was paramount in launching yeah. your career. Talk us to us a bit. Talk to us about that.
0: Sitting back in a reclining chair uh, in Hobart, uh, Tasmania, I was playing for the Tassie Mariners down there. Relocated, living with my great auntie and uncle. We always watched the Footy Show Thursday night. <laughs> we'd settle in after dinner. Footy Show's on. Can't wait. And we'd sit down together and watch it. My great uh, uncle, he had his he had his Han Ice beer. <laughs> he <laughs> loved his Han Ice, I don't know why. And uh, my, my great auntie and I would just sit there and watch the footy show and almost footy legends, we lived for it. We loved it just to watch these crazy marks in country leagues all around Australia. And then, woe be died. one night, I'm on there. Now, I knew I took this mark, but I had no idea. One of my teammates had sent it in because he was working down at the TSL As he stayed the the TFL, sorry, um, uh, in the headquarters there, he'd got a hold of the tape and sent it in, right? And that's an important note, you remember that. One of my teammates found the tape, sent it in. We go through to the grand final. Uh, I mean, you can imagine a young 17-year-old kid seeing himself on TV for the first time. Oh, my God, I'm on the footy show. It was huge. And the next day at school, everyone's talking about I was the king of the town. We go forward about four or five weeks to the grand final footy show it won, uh, and the other one that I took came third in that competition. I won a car, right? Huge moment. I've got just, just got my driver's license. I've just won a car, and I'm I'm on TV. I hadn't been drafted at this point. Well, it turns out the, uh, the, the TFL weren't happy because it was their video, so I didn't get the car. Oh, they took it off me. You're kidding me. It's <laughs> a true story. That's a bit rough. <laughs> it's very rough. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, or at least they could have said thank you. I didn't even get a thank you note. Oh, dear mate. But then I got drafted and I was out of there anyway, (laughs) so, you know. We'll talk about
1: that in just a sec. Now, you mentioned a few times you got drafted. Talk to us, apart from the marks, tell us about the junior footy and under-18 level and at what age did you think you were a genuine chance of getting
0: drafted? It's a good question because – The fact that we're getting an AFL team down in Tasmania now is kind of huge for the story of young Tasmanian boys and girls with their hopes and dreams. I was really lucky that the Tassie Mariners was created and we were entered into the competition, the under-18 competition, you know, your Calder Cannons, your your, your Northern Knights and your Western Jets. We were playing against those guys every single week. That had never happened before. Uh, One or two guys were getting drafted at best – uh, from, uh, the, from the Tassie State, um, good talent was coming out of there, but not big numbers, right? Um, to be able to get in front of the eyes of all the Victorians and the selectors by playing in the under competition, for me, I was just so lucky that that year, my, I was 16, Tassie Mariners comes in, Chris Fagan's the coach. Uh, Seven and 18, bang, I'd played two years of constant football over here in Victoria um, under the tutelage of obviously a great man in Chris Fagan. How lucky was I? And now you've got this uh, competition coming in. I mean, in the under-18, sorry, the, the the AFL team is coming in. Now we're going to have good coaches down in Tasmania. We're going to have pathways down there. It's just not been pathways. And and we know since Tasmania Mariners has uh, folded, it's been really hard and there's been not a lot of numbers coming out of Tasmania. There hasn't been great coaches. There hasn't been a pathway. My pathway was, now that I look back on it, I was just so lucky. It was unbelievable. And then... Which I wish they'd get drafted, and it was a super draft for Tassie. Eight of you went in yeah. that draft, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. We we were in front of you guys over here, um, playing under the the high pressure of. I mean, Victorian football was it. You know, you watched the Vic Metro, Vic Country a couple of weeks ago, and uh, great to see young, Kynan uh, Brown, uh, a teammate of mine, Nathan Brown's son, running around, and look at the talent in that team. Those two teams, wow. Um, we were playing against those guys. And you only get better by playing against the best, by pitting yourself against the best, and understanding. Well, this is where I needed to get to, and that's what I was doing. I was going, "Right, well, I need to be like that," and I'd work harder on my game when I got back. Okay, love the Michael Jordan documentaries. Uh, I love the way he talked in those. And one of those, one of the points I got out of that was every time he didn't do well, and he was up against his brother, and then he was up against the best when he was. It didn't make him feel bad. It made him feel like I need to get in the gym and and work hard on it and get do it a thousand times mm. and get better so that I can compete and that's what we were doing and now Tassie has that, will have that. There's been a lot of years though where it's been very, very sparse. We had eight guys come out of Tasmania that year and it's <laughs> the day of the draft, mate. It's one of the greatest days of my life. I can tell you the story about that as well because it's a little bit different to what a lot of Victorians have.
1: Well, it was very different back then as well because now the kids, they're either there or watch it on the live stream or watch it on the TV and it was very, very different for you. Uh,
0: yeah, well, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the NBA stuff and uh, we watch the NFL draft and it's a big event in, in America. It was barely on the radio for us back then. You know, it was just done in a room somewhere. We knew what was happening, and you just get a, I hope you get a phone call. We didn't have mobiles either. It was just the home phone. So that's the era, kids. We're talking about here. If you're listening to this, it's the information wasn't getting out fast, and especially to Tasmania. I think we're we're looking for carrier pigeons to find out what's going on over in Victoria. <laughs> so I obviously had a pretty good year uh, for Melbourne that year. Um, Melbourne had a lot of injuries, Gary Lyon and and those guys, sort of an ageing list and some really bad injuries. So a lot of uh, reserve players were coming up. That meant their reserves because it was the reserve, Melbourne reserves, St Kilda reserves, Fitzroy, they all had their reserves teams. Um, there was no VFL affiliates. So if the reserves team didn't have enough players, they'd have to get them from the under-18. So I'd had a couple of games for Melbourne already. Uh, they wanted to have a look at me because of these, these marks that I'd taken as well. And, I was lucky enough to be under their uh, under their radar, in their radar a little bit, but there was no talk about me getting drafted. I didn't go to the draft camp, the draft combine. Um, it was maybe some. I was probably the sixth or seventh pick out of the Tassie Mariner team, or maybe Russell Robertson will get picked up. He's kicked sixty goals this year from fifteen games from full forward. Maybe he's a chance as well. But really, maybe you know the thing that really had me a chance was my marking. And I found out later that's why. So anyway, on draft day, I'm at home trying to find it on the wireless. Nothing. Couldn't <laughs> Couldn't find it. I got so frustrated. I just went to school. And I'm sitting in the common room, right, and one of my mates comes in and around about, oh, one o'clock in the afternoon, draft was done and dusted. Did you hear? Four blokes from Tassie have been drafted. And he reeled off the names. He goes, you're not one of them. I'm like, oh, yeah. damn, it's all over. Four? It's amazing. Like, we never have four getting drafted we had an 18th that night. One of our mates was turning 18 and having a big party. But it was like 45 minutes from Hobart Town, so right out in the bush. We went to the, the, the pub. Um, I was 17, so I wasn't drinking. But uh, of some of them were... <laughs> All right, I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the uh, one of the boys says, oh, come on, we'll go to this party. And he had his licence and we drove down there. And I'm thinking as we're driving down these 45 minutes, what am I going to do with my life? Maybe I'll just go back to Penguin and talk to Dad about maybe being a teacher like he was and, you know, what's the process there. And, uh, well, footy was fun but, you know, I'll go back and play for the local team. Anyway, I'll get to this party and have, have a few drinks and, Drowning the sorrows, but not really thinking that I was a chance anyway. It was, it wasn't like, damn. It was just like, ah, well. So you were
1: a bit flat, or it's just just
0: a little bit flat. You know, like what am I going to do now? I think we all go through that, but it wasn't like I was. Oh, Russ Roberts is going to get drafted, and he didn't. You know. Um, Then a phone rings, and I'm talking kids. The phone where you walk to the wall and you pick it up, and you've got a a line that runs from the (laughs) receiver to the to the wall. Uh, answer it. Well, I didn't answer it. Someone at the at the party did. Rob a phone for you. So I go over and I pick up the phone, and it was one of my teammates from the Tassie Mariners who Barry from Melbourne. He's like, "What are you doing, mate?" I said, oh, "I just down this down this party, mate. What are you doing? You coming?" He goes, "You don't know, do you?" I said, "Know what?" He said, "You've been drafted, mate. What are you doing?" I said, oh, "That's a really cruel cool joke, mate. I know that four blokes have been drafted, and I wasn't one of them." He goes, "Mate, eight. What was it? Seven or eight blokes have been drafted." And you were picked sevens. You're going to the demons, mate. And I said, I, I, the excitement in his voice kind of was like, oh, maybe maybe he's right. So I'll, I'll call you back. I'll call you back. I hung up. I rang mum straight away. And she'd just been phoned. I'm talking seven o'clock at night. The draft had been done six hours. <laughs> but mum had been at work. Dad was at work. I was in bush, Tasman, dead over at somewhere. Mum had just been called. And she was in tears, obviously. She couldn't believe it. and. I turned to everyone at the party and I just looked at them and I said, I've been drafted to the demons and everyone dived on top of me. We went crazy and it was screams and it was more drinks and it was the best night of my life. That is amazing. (laughs) You think like, you know, You could watch it on TV now and know instantly I found out 10 hours later. (laughs) You
1: couldn't make that up and there was no answering machines, no mobile phones, so it just seems like it was 80 years ago, doesn't it, that something like that
0: could happen. And then Chris Fagan rang. He found out where I was as well and he rang. And I think he was in a bit of shock too that I'd been drafted, but he was was, was very proud of me because Fags is like a father to me and um, it's a funny old relationship, but um, if he wasn't around – this wouldn't be happening and I would never have been. So why was he so instrumental? He was hard on me, really hard on me um, and f- with good reason because I was a bit silly, you know, like just a bit of fancy footballing. You know, you saw the way I played football. That was really reined in from what I used to do. It was all about fancy marks, kicking goals, having fun, laughing, um, not taking it too seriously. But he saw something in me. And the story goes like this. He came up to the Northwest Coast. I'm 16 years of age, maybe just 15, um, training at Burn and Devonport, um, just a regional sort of trial to see who could make this possible Tassie Mariners squad. And I think he just must have looked back and gone, this kid looks okay. I don't know why. I was wearing Utah Jazz shorts, for Christ's sake.
1: Stockton or Malone? (laughs) I don't
0: know, but you know the the purple shortish ones, not the long ones. No, Stockton then. Oh, that was my pride and joy, (laughs) yeah. Stockton, um, Utah Jazz shorts. Um, I didn't even barry for the Jazz. I don't know why I had them, but I just wanted something NBA because we love the NBA. Used to collect put basketball cards, all of that. Anyway fags uh, the story goes, fags asked the coach that was there, who's your best player? He said, oh, that kid there who coincidentally was his son. Um, he said, right, I want you to do some one-on-ones, put him on that kid there. And he's like, no worries, that kid, no worries, my son will towel him up. Apparently I towed him up one-on-one, aerialist, on the ground, the whole lot. Fags was interested and I kept just – making it to the next selection. Then I was like, what's going on here, Dad? I don't understand why this is happening. And I'll make the final squad. And then Fags, through that whole process, was just onto me. He just was trying to make me understand this is what the real world is like and this is how you need to be. Yes, life's great and life's fancy and you love that fancy side and you're creative and you know I do the music now and you know I like the – I'm not the guy that's going to go and teach someone how to tackle – an AFL club, I'm going to be the guy that's on the microphone at the MCG game day making this fun, you know. That's what I love. And he knew that, but he knew that I needed to have this serious side as well if I was going to go anywhere, and he he was um, hard on me.
1: So specifically what did he want you to work on or eradicate a little bit or just focus on doing more? Just stop showing off. Okay.
0: Right? So there's this great bit of footage that we have. I don't know. It's in, I think it's at home with mum and dad. Um, the old VHS. You know what that is. A lot of people listening probably wouldn't <laughs> tape. I've got to convert that thing. But it's a game against, I think, the Western Jets at uh, North Hobart Oval. And at North Hobart Oval, the coaches are sitting up in an old tin sort of setup that's open air, you know, classic country football style. And- Anything the coach says reverberates. And it's like an amplifier out onto the ground. So you hear what they're saying. So if you do something wrong. Now, I've had a great game. I've played one of the best games of my life. This is for the, us to make the finals. Um, it was huge. And at the end of the game, we're two goals up. Brody Holland, who played for Collingwood, just kicked a goal. I've kicked four or five. On top of the world. We're the kings of the town too, just quietly. The Tassie Mariners. We were more popular than any TFL, TSL, whatever team it was, we were huge. And we were buying into that a little bit, right? <laughs> so I've taken this mark out on the wing um, on a guy that's taller than me. I don't know how I did it. Division, it's just like, God, that was a good mark actually. And then he threw me to the ground in disgust. Has this little twerp taken this mark? We need a goal. And I've gone down the ground and, oh, I played it up. And I'm looking at the umpire. Come on, you know, must have had a smile on my face or something. And then you hear this voice from the the tin coach's box, Robo! Stop showing off. And I reckon everyone in the whole ground just went, ooh, don't want to be Robbo right now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I've gone back and I and you can see my demeanour instantly changed to, oh, God, I'm in trouble. And anyway, I was in trouble. After the siren went, we've won by two goals, fakes, steam coming out of his ears down the steps and we go into the room and we sing the song and up and I, I reckon I had a serious look on my face thinking I'm, I'm in trouble from Dad. <laughs> he grabs me, throws me into a room and sits me down on a chair. It makes me a bit emotional actually thinking about it. But he, um oh, I don't know why I get emotional about it. So it's just a beautiful moment. He sits me down and he ripped into me. I know it's, it's funny. He ripped into me and he goes, you're like a son to me. And that moment, oh, my God, it's just huge to have someone like that tell me that I was like a son to him because he didn't have boys, he has daughters. Um, just we've had a special relationship ever since. Hard, you know, it's, a, it's the old Aussie relationship, I reckon it is. And we don't ring each other, we don't do anything like that, not like the ones you would have now with a coach. We don't ring each other, hey, go on, mate, or whatever. But I know he's got my back and I'm like blood to him. So it's beautiful. And throughout your football journey, did he stay in touch with you along the way? So he came to Melbourne a year after, which was great, brilliant, you know. I knew it was going to be hard. I thought I'd got away from the, from the guy that's <laughs> bloody into me all the time because even at training, if I made a mistake, it was, he said, the reason I'm hard on, on you, the reason in that moment, is because you're like a son to me and I want to see you do well. It's just like, wow, how can I have this guy wanting to do something for me that's not even my father? Um, so I needed that guy. And he came to Melbourne and, and he was hard on me again. He would take me for a coffee and say, now the reason why Neil's dropped you this week, Danaher, is because you're doing this. And this is my early stages and it made me better. It made me work harder. It made me understand the reality. And I think we all need a touch of reality from someone. We're lucky if we have people that can tell us that and that we listen to that because I don't know if the world's got enough of that anymore. We, we tend to cuddle our kids a bit. Sometimes I think we need that that hard word.
1: You're very, very close with your father. You're very close with Chris Fagan. What was their relationship like?
0: I think good. I think Dad understood that as well. And I think Fags was the first – he rang Dad first to tell me that I was playing my first game for the Mariners when I was 16. And Dad, I remember, I remember Dad took the call um, upstairs at, in the old our house in Penguin and he said, really? Why? What? Are you sure? <laughs> I just told Dad I was playing my first game for the Tassie Mariners and he's like, why? Are you sure you've got the wrong guy?
1: <laughs> Come on, Dad. Need a bit
0: more support than that. <laughs> but can I tell you, Dad, um, apart from the marking, probably the most important moment, and it was a moment, and moments matter. They really do. Uh, they count. The moment for me was that got me to play for the Tassie Mariners and if I didn't play for the Tassie Mariners, I would... Not be here with you right now. I would never played AFL because you just not. You understand. So we're driving to Burnie Football Club for training one night. Dad, being a school teacher, was going to go to the to the school and do some work, woodwork, metalwork teacher. So he's going to go and do some stuff. You go train. I'll come pick you up after training. All right. This is five thirty. Very cold, wintry Tasmanian night. He said. Now after after training, boy. I want you to go up and ask the coach because the coach was Peter German of North Melbourne fame. Intimidating. Very intimidating. Big. Biggest quads on a man you've ever seen. It just looked like one big quad. (laughs) (laughs) Huge. Could kick the ball a mile and would give a spray if needed. Uh, He said, I want you to go up. Ask Germo, what did you do to make it to the AFL? And I was like, as a 16-year-old, no, I'm not doing that. I don't even want to talk to an adult at this age. He said, Trust me, Russ, do it. Ask him. Ask him after training. I'll be in the car park. We're waiting for you. Anyway, we train. Um, I finish off. I've had a shower or whatever and I'm coming out and I can see Jem over in the gym by himself, just working out. No one else around. It was like it was meant to be. Dad's, <laughs> Dad's made this, willed this to happen. And I was sort of going for the door. I was like, should I do this? Should I go? And, oh, Dad's going to kill me if I don't. So I put my bag down. I went over and I said, excuse me, Mr. Jim. <laughs> I'd love to know what you did that got you to the AFL because I really want to, you know, I really want to make it too. And you could see him sort of go, oh, chest puffed out a little bit and he told me his entire story and I got all these little things and got in the car and I, Dad said, did you do it? And I said, yeah. He said, don't care what he said, it's for you. Don't tell me. Yeah, gotcha. Well done. <laughs> that was it, right, and that was the end of that story. Now, Chris Fagan rings... Um, Peter German, because we had two guys, Aaron Butler and myself, on the Tassie Mariners list. He was going to play Aaron Butler because they needed a pacing mid to come in for this game in my underage year. And Germo said, yep, yeah, Butts, you can have him this weekend, but I tell you what, I've got a better kid here for you. Um, You should get Russell Robertson in the team. He's a good kid. And remember I told you about looking and listening and making someone feel respected. That was that moment. That was one of those moments where Germo goes, God, he's a good kid. And when he got called by someone to get another kid up to the next level, he pushed me. Maybe I wasn't a better footballer, but he pushed me through. Well, I didn't play that week, but the next week I did. I got the call up and I never looked back.
1: You get to Melbourne, Neil Barm's the coach. It was a challenging time for the Demons. What was it like relocating to Melbourne on a permanent basis? And what was it like under
0: Barmy? The hardest thing I ever did in my life, and I've had a pretty good life, was leaving Tasmania, leaving Penguin, leaving the safety of my mum and dad, to go and live in big city. Now, that might not sound much to Victorians, but a small town in Tasmania, Victoria is like living on Mars. It's huge. It's different. It's weird. It's it's just your equilibrium is just thrown completely. You know, you have to toughen up and do it. But for a kid that's never washed any of his clothes, mum's made every meal I've ever had, you know, being looked after like the, I was the only boy, three, three sisters, one boy. The boy gets everything laid on, you know. <laughs> so I get to Melbourne and I was moved in with a, a lady that worked at the club in a small flat, flat in St Kilda, two-bedroom flat, tiniest little bedroom. ever. I grew up in, on acreage, tiny little bedroom across across the road, Williams Road from the graveyard. Oh, no. <laughs> so my bedroom, I look out, graves everywhere, cars. I didn't know where the ocean was. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, I get to this house and a note on the on the um, bench that said, plenty of food in the uh, fridge. I'm staying at my boyfriend's tonight. I'll see you at some point. Okay. Where's my bedroom? What am I doing? I panicked. I panicked and had the worst night of my life. Woke up in the morning. I was supposed to be picked up by one of the players. They forgot. I can't remember who it was. One of the senior players forgot to pick me up. So I'm standing out the front, 7 o'clock in the morning, cars whizzing by, graveyard. Where's the player to pick me up? 8 o'clock, 8.30, training started at 8. I went back inside. I called the club and said, I've not been picked up. <laughs> you know, It was just an awful start yeah, for yeah. me. Anyway, I got back home, same deal. She wasn't there, the person I was supposed to be living with. And I rang mum and dad straight away and said, I can't do this. I, need, I can't do this. So I was almost in tears. And dad got a bit frustrated with me, gave me the hard word, something to the effect of, bloody well, pack your stuff and get home then. You know, like, don't be so pathetic, right? That sort of attitude in his voice. And as soon as I heard that, because I respect my dad so much, it was like, oh, no, 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 I'll be right. Oh, all right, I get it. Okay, I'll be right. And so I just went to work. So, so what
1: changed, began. though? How did you get used to the acclimatisation? Well, Stephen
0: Tingay changed. He put his hand up and said, come live with me, mate. Okay. I was talking to him at training. He said, come live with me. And he'd already had a player there. What a guy. He's like 25 years of age, just lost his mum in a horrific car mm. accident. And he says, come live with me. I'll get you through. So for the next month, I lived with him until something else came up. I bounced around about six or seven different places. Just the system then when we first got moved over was not like it is now. It was like, anyone want to look after our players? Oh, I will. And then they send us. There's no checking to make sure we are getting everything we needed. There was, is this some crazy fan? It was nothing like that. It was just go and live there. I lived with a family that said they didn't want to feed me. Um, which I was supposed to, they were getting paid to do it. I lived with an old lady who was in an old mansion, three-storey thing that had never had a, uh, since for for about 30 years had never been cleaned. Um, Just wasn't ideal, right? Just wasn't ideal. Um, Bounced around seven or eight different places before I finally landed with uh, uh, someone that worked for the footy club and she was from the same town as me in Tasmania. I lived there for a year. And then I went and lived with Stephen Tingay again for another two years. What was Barmy like? Didn't have enough – I, I really can't remember much about my first year um, in terms of – it just was a, a – you can imagine it was a blur. It was a whirlwind. Barmy was all about um, you guys know how to play football. You should know what to do. Go and do it. You know, there was no you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this like Neil Danaher was, micromanaging everything. Neil barn was like – I think famously one of his team meetings before an important game the year before I got there – Usually you'd go for an hour going through kick-ins, you know, midfield um, positioning, um, what the opposition does, analysis, all that. It goes for about an hour, an hour and a half, and certainly that did with Neil Dennerher for years and years and years. But with Barmy, famously got everyone. He goes, "Righto, boys, Gary, Stinger, Jimmy, you all know how to play football, don't you? See at the G, let's do it. And they all walked out, <laughs> went home. How good's that? Team meeting over and done with. <laughs> Poor old Barmy. I mean, he had great success before Melbourne. But uh, unfortunately the injury toll on his team really made made it hard for him. Now my first, one of my first games from Melbourne was a practice match at Glenferry Oval. That's how far back we're going. Soggy old Glenferry Oval had been raining. We're playing the Hawks in a practice match. I come on at halftime as a new draft player. We're in the number 42. The seniors are playing a, it must have been like an ANSET Cup game later that night or maybe even a practice match up in the country. I think it was up in Laverdon. Um, but the the reserves were playing at Glen Ferry and my first touch for the Melbourne Football Club was a mark, twenty five metres out, directly in front. I go back. Neil Balm's there. The coaches, all the past, all the all the players are there. That they're going to head off to the airport soon. I think he's showing what I'm made of. Line up. Go through my routine. Five steps. When is I was about to kick. My foot, I reckon, went that deep into the ground trying to kick the (laughs) – I tripped over, the ball bumbled to the guy on the mark and the ball went all the way out the other end and they kicked a goal. And I reckon Neil Balm's done one of those famous head shakes. Who have we got here? (laughs) What the (laughs) hell is that? That was my first touch from the Melbourne Football Club. I think everybody thought I was just a bit hopeless.
1: A little bit of a challenging start. What was it like walking into the footy club with Gary Lyon, the larger-than-life captain at the time?
0: So moving into the the, uh, Melbourne system was like – Backward step. I went from the Bernie um, Dockers, a uh, pretty decent sort of club setup, and nothing like they've got now, to the Junction Oval. And it was like, are you serious? This is an AFL footy club? This is horrible. This is disgusting. And there's Gary Lyon. I was sitting in my locker and I was eyes like Buddy Saucepan's and, you know, Jimmy Stein's and, and Stephen Tingay and the Lovett's and the great names of the Melbourne Football Club of the past. This, this is an AFL club though. Like, oh my God. And training was elite course. Um, hard weight sessions, the 1st preseason camp was just I'm still trying to get over it to this day. But I just the club was just not set up for success then. It was uh, a basket case.
1: And in a few years' time, that would rear its ugly head. But you established yourself pretty quickly. Neil Danaher, a coach you speak glowingly about, came on board and things turned around very quickly for the club.
0: Very quickly. I think it was a record at the time going from the bottom of the ladder. I think we finished third or fourth in my second year. And I've come from the rookie list. I'd gone back to the rookie list after that horrible kick at Glenferrie Oval. <laughs> they decided <laughs> to put me on the rookie list. Now Melbourne had a lot of injuries. So they had to draft ready-made players, older guys. They picked up Nick Pesh, Shane Way Woden, and a bloke by the name of Lee Newton from the Ovens of Murray. And they played instant senior football. I went back to the reserves and was that, that was where I was staying until, I don't know, it's some big change happened, um, All that year, played horrible football. I was lost, playing on the wing, all over the place. No one knew what to do with me. Um, Neil Baum gets the sack. This is my first year um, after a game in Port Adelaide against one of the bottom teams. Melbourne loses horribly. See you later, Barmy he gone. Greg Hutchison steps in as the interim coach. Uh, Matt Randell, who recently just passed, may you rest in peace, takes the helm of the reserves um, and... Hutchie, who was a reserve coach, goes up. And Matty Rendell says to me, in classic Bundy way, he'd always tell you, a spade's a spade. Robbo, it's all over at the end of this year, mate. You're done. No one wants you. I'm going to put you at center forward. Have some fun till the end of the year and then bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened? What turned around? I went to center forward. Kick goals, took me, marks. Someone told me the right thing. Have fun. Yep. Stop being so serious. Have some fun. It had been serious to that point. It was hard being away from the family. I knew I was going home, and I just wanted to have some fun. So I went to center half forward, and I reckon I averaged fifteen marks at center half forward for the next five games. Goals, taking hangers like it was. I was just taking the Mick. It's to this day. I reckon it's the best football I've ever played. And I was. I got the call up.
1: Yeah. A couple of weeks later, you then say you're going to make your AFL debut
0: over in the West, playing at the (laughs) Wacker against the West Coast Eagles. We were on no money. Like we had no, I think I was on $15,000 my first year in Melbourne. I had to live on that in Melbourne, $15,000. You'd hope to get some matches, but in the reserves you can't get matches. It's no money. Like I had to work. I was working in the city at a company, an IT company, trying to get some some scratch, you know. Mm. Anyway, uh, I, get, uh, I get to training one day after I reckon my, Because it was a Sydney game and I was playing on Troy Luff. I reckon I took two or three hangers on him. (laughs) Um, Ruzi said something on the footy show about it, actually. It was great to see someone taking hangers on Luffy, this young kid, Russell Robertson. Well, I got the call up. um, Damien Gasper um, was in the meeting room and he went and had a look underneath to see who was playing underneath the the, the cloth because they'd always hide it. He comes into the rooms. He goes, "Robbie, you're playing seniors. I'm like, I'm not. I'm on the rookie list. I I can't play seniors. He goes, mate, your name's on the board. It's like, oh, that's a bit weird. Anyway, we go out to training. Hutchie calls everyone in. Guess what, everybody? Robbo's playing his first game. Hey, Robbo. What Dean Irving, a uh, long-term injury list, and it was the end of his career, so I took his spot on the list. You're right. Perth was the first game. I went as a – I was told. Hutchie says, media doesn't know, and I don't want them to know. Don't tell anyone till tomorrow. I'm not allowed to let it out. Okay? <laughs> Couldn't tell mum and dad? No. Nah. Don't tell your mum, and dad, don't tell anyone. I've been told I'm playing my first. <laughs> game. I'm not even allowed to tell my dad. So I go home, just sitting there, just unable to to to, to think straight. So I went, I, I thought i you know, I'd treat myself. I'm playing my first senior game. I went to Brashes and bought Hell Jam's album 10. Right. I'd always wanted it, but I couldn't afford $28 for a seat. <laughs> But <laughs> I can afford that now. So I went and bought it and listened to that all night. next day, obviously, I was able to ring mum and dad. But I played my first game over in the West and I played on John Worsfold. Oh, dear me. That was a baptism of fire. What Bear do you remember it? about not just the game but the experience? Yeah. So I just remember, you know, rocking up to Tullamarine with with the senior team David Neitz was the obviously um, one of the great players I was going to be playing next to him I couldn't believe it and I was just hanging out with Adam Musaine and all those guys and Jeff Farmer and just wow this is phenomenal playing in the seniors like, my whole life's dream is about to happen we go over um you know the hotel I remember all of that I remember before the game rocking up to the Wacker where we played I don't know why they were playing at Wacker at the time but anyway um you know, the, before the game, the rain came in sideways. It was torrential, you know, tr- tropical sort of rain stuff. Um, and I thought, that's a shame, you know, I don't really want to play in the rain in the first <laughs> game. Anyway, we go back inside and go back out for the run out and to run through the banner. And it was the most perfect night and it was like it never rained. It was a bit muggy but it, it felt like it didn't even rain. The drainage system over in the West is amazing. I remember just the electricity of it all. I remember feeling the, the energy of playing in an AFL game is so different to playing at Punt Road Oval at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, the crowd, the music, the mascots, the banner, running through the banner and just looking everywhere as I'm running around. And I realised that I was in the middle of the ground and I nearly ran into the umpires. <laughs> My team was all the way down the forward line. I'd rang the wrong way just looking at stuff, sprinted back <laughs> over. <laughs> I remember Nita going off at the umpires. I'd never heard a spray like that before. And I remember John Mosfold. Throwing the point of his elbow in my back all the time and then stepping on the back of my boots so it would come off all the time. And I just remember thinking, please stop, Mr. Wolfwald, <laughs> Please stop. I <laughs> Remember my first mark, Todd Viney hit me right on the chest, which was a rarity. <laughs> 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 Beautiful kick, 45 metres out on the 50 metre line I kicked, just faded late, famous club for point with the first kick. Kicked a goal not long after that and got another couple of another couple of games after that.
1: But it's amazing how you remember so many things that clearly oh, from God. your first AFL experience. Yep. It's,
0: it's everything to a young lad. I know young lasses as well are doing it and it'd be just the same for them. But at the time, for a young lad and for me, it was everything that I dreamed of doing. It was the coming together. It was the realisation of an impossible dream. To get out of penguin, a small kid who couldn't outmark his team, his, his schoolmates you know, trying to, to, to be better at that one thing so that I could be the best at it, to take the marks on the Almost Footy Legends show, to be seen on TV. And the only reason I got drafted is because somebody took the time to work on that one thing that I was good at to become the best at it, to show everybody that I was the best at it, that made people notice, that got me into the team. And now I'm playing an AFL game because Dad took the time with his son and it wasn't oh, um, telling me everything I wanted to hear. It wasn't easy. It was hard stuff. It was left field thinking. It was just time spent. He could have been an excuse to just go and have a wine with mum and some peanuts and, you know, relax. Great day's work. Kids just go and play. No, he's, every time we got home, was like, right, a boy, let's go out the front. And we worked on it. So I would not have been able to experience that if it wasn't for dad.
1: And it was a huge change at the end of that year for Melbourne. Neil Danaher comes in, you personally and the club, then just explode in 1998 yes. as a result.
0: Yes. So we finished third or fourth or whatever it was. I think it might have been equal third. Um, to play finals football, the first year under Neil Danaher, was unbelievable. And, you know, we were we were a freight train that year. Jeff Farmer was doing things out on the footy field that a lot of people have not seen since. It was unbelievable. I mean, if you got time – Google Jeff Farmer in 1998. That mark against Richmond over Gary Lyon, the infamous sort of step into his back mark, he was tapping the ball to blokes here, have a goal, just freakish stuff. And that's what I remember clearly about that time, that we had an amazing team in Gary mm. Lyon, David Schwartz, David Needs, Jeff Farmer. I mean, you go through it. Jimmy Stiles, Ston- there's some superstars there, Stephen Phoebe. We just, we did not have the club set up. For Neil to be able to get us to the ultimate, like a Essendon, like a you know a Carlton, those teams had a, a, a system and a setup and money. We had nothing. So poor Neil. He, he what he was able to do with that team, with the limited access to elite, what we, you know, preparation stuff and a, and a training facility, it's it's nothing short of a miracle.
1: Now, I know you made a grand final in 2000, but I think that 98 team was probably as yep. close to a flag as you came. Now, that final series, just to recap for the listeners, the first week of the finals, you beat the reigning premiers Adelaide by 48 points. The second week of the finals, you beat St Kilda by 51 points. And then you go into a prelim final against the rampaging North
0: Melbourne, mm. and they own Friday night footy. Yeah. It was all set up for them and they had Wayne Carey and we were probably a bit intimidated by that. They were coming to an endish of that amazing 90s, team of the 90s run. Guys were getting a little older, but we just got them at the wrong time and timing is everything in, in, in life and in sport and for us certainly that year. If we'd just been able to get over North, I reckon we could have beaten Adelaide again based on what we'd done to them or St Kilda, based on what we'd done to them you know, the weeks before. So... Yeah, very disappointing. But again, just didn't have the club set up to quite get us ready.
1: In that prelim, I remember two things that you did. One was kick a brilliant goal on your left foot from about 50 out. Yeah. The other was David Neitz mangled a torpedo and you went to market. Went know. through your arms and was given know. a goal. Oh,
0: no. Did I, you touch it? I think I did touch you it. You did touch but it. thank God there was no snicko. No. There was no, <laughs> no reviews. I think I did touch that one, actually. It was
1: a bizarre talk, though. <laughs> it was a shocking kick. It just kept going. You
0: had to probably try I and did, mark I it. I didn't know. I, I do remember that, thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy mark for me. And then it just kept going and kept going. And you're in two minds. Yeah. And, look, like, it is the cut and thrust of AFL football. So sometimes when people make mistakes out on AFL grounds, a lot of people are like, what do they do that for? And we're watching the Ashes and and they're making mistakes. It's the the intensity of elite sport. You're just making split-second decisions and sometimes you get it wrong and we have to accept that.
1: Well, I'm glad you admitted that you did touch it because I always wanted to ask that question and thank goodness they didn't go upstairs to check it because they might have changed that goal tour behind. But on the back of that, it was a great season and two years back, Again, the Ds had have a great season. This time you go on and make the grand final. Yeah. Unfortunately, you ran in, again, wrong place, wrong time against the Bombers team that coughed it up the year before in a prelim against Carlton. They were primed to win the premiership yeah. that year. Yeah. But it was a very exciting time for Melbourne supporters and that victory over Carlton, mm-hmm. I know, resonates with so many fans all these years later. It
0: does. I mean, people talk to me about I didn't have a great game against Carlton that, that day, but the, the rest of the team certainly did and it was phenomenal to watch Brad Green and Cameron Bruce and even Schwarter and guys, Jeff Farmer, as I said before, they were they were doing things out there. that just – and we, we we made it there after some thrashings that year. I think we got thrashed by Carlton that year by over 100 points. I think by Geelong, over 100 points. To make a grand final in that year is ridiculous. We were able to rebound. We were young. We were cocky. It was a changing of the guard. Gary was finished. Um, you know, Jimmy was, if not finished, he was on the way out. Um, we had a young group. Stephen Phoebe, I think, was the oldest. And we were basically getting by on that. Um, and we could have done anything, but Essendon were rampaging. Yeah. And I think they're the most underachieving team of that era. You know, they should have won that year before against, should have beaten Carlton. We know that tackle. And then 2000, um, they roll through it, and then they come up against this Brisbane-Fitzroy uh, combined team that, we, as we know, just steamrolled the competition for the next three or four years and then Port Adelaide, and then it was all over for Essendon. But, uh, yeah, they they were phenomenal. We knew we were up against it, but we were just hoping that on the back of some pretty plucky plays, some 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 fun-style football that we were playing that we might be able to get there. Now, had we been able to kick the goals early, I think we missed goals early, we might have been with a chance. But unfortunately, Essendon, yeah, they really flexed their muscles that day and sent us packing.
1: Because Essendon was so good, do you look back on that grand final fondly, though? Do you take in the achievement that reaching the grand final gave you and the supporters and the joy that it gave a lot of people around the footy club?
0: I do. I look at it with joy because I was 19, 20, right? So if I was 28, coming to the end, of course, I'd look at it and go, damn, you know what a waste. I don't watch it. There's no joy in watching a yeah. game where you lose, and we didn't do well. But I look back on it fondly. The week itself and what it held. Um, being in the grand final, being a premiership premiership contending team. You know you've got all the the fanfare, the scrutiny, but the fanfare as well. Like the 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 grand final parade. You're in the paper every day. Someone's talking about you every day. We're eating lunch at the Dandy Deli in Brighton. You know it, and, and there's camera crews rolling up. As we're eating, I remember Stephen Tingay said, Right, boys, that's enough. Bugger off, let us eat our food. They, we let them have a little bit of a, they let us just go away. You know, <laughs> it's like the paparazzi, <laughs> I was just sitting there going, This is not like Kansas anymore. You know, this is not Penguin. It was brilliant. You know, how could you hate that? I mean, embrace it, embrace it. But then, time, what I'm more angry about, I suppose, is the end of my career and the fact that we weren't able to get back there again. There's some years there, 04, 05, eight, where I think we probably were a team ready to go but we just weren't able to to get there.
1: Well, you mentioned 04, and that was a bizarre year because in contrast to the team coming right at the right time in 2000, it was the opposite in 2004. With four games to go, you're top of the table, yeah. and then you lose to Port Adelaide, Sydney, Carlton, and yeah. West Coast. You slide to fifth, and then you yeah. get bundled out of the finals first week. Where did that go
0: wrong? Mentally. We just lost it mentally. We were strong enough, good enough. I don't think we were mentally strong enough, and sadly. I mean, it's just started to go bad and we just couldn't get it back. Um, and that's what happens sometimes. I don't know. I feel like Neil Danaher, and I keep going back to this, was one out, like a shag on a rock, you know, asking for money from board members, asking for money from, you know, Cotarians just to compete a little bit with these rich clubs. I mean, he had to ask the Coterie for money so we could get Aaron Davey, you know, we had no money to do it. We were paying 90-something, nothing of the percent of the salary cap. We had no footy club expenditure. We had nothing. And what he was able to do with our club was nothing short of I – mean, I mean, you go to the Junction Oval as a, an elite player coming from the West Coast Eagles and their set-up and deciding on your club and walking in and going, I barrack for this club growing up. I'd love to play for them. You walk in, you see the Junction Oval and the, the meeting room is a bloody drop-in school club, bloody one of those Terrapin things, the drop-in room. And you go, nah, bugger that, I'm going to go play for Carlton. We could have had Juddy. We had a good club set up and we had the money. But, you know, how do you attract good players? It it does take cash, unfortunately, and we just didn't have it. But, you know, it's no excuse. We we should have won that year. We should have gone all the way through. But, unfortunately, we weren't able to. Some brighter highlights of your
1: career, 2003, winning the best and fairest. Because that's something that forever and a day you'll be on the honour board and it does add a real meat to your legacy, doesn't it, it When you does. can introduce yourself as a best and fairest winner. What made that year so special for you individually?
0: Can I be brutally honest and say the thing I hate the most now, and it really makes me sad that I'm not a premiership player, that I'm not a – I feel like there's this – if you're a premiership player, even if you only play for two or three years, you're held in such high regard, you're elite, and if you don't, you're not. And even if you're a great player, Robbie Flower never won a premiership. You know, he's different. But but guys that were really good players, you don't win a premiership, you're not held in that club. You're not part of that. And you're, yeah, you played, you are great. I've got to take little wins. I really do. I've got to sort of go, well, I never expected to play one game. To be able to play a few, to be able to play over 200 is is a big achievement. To win a best and fair is an achievement. It's an individual thing. But um, I would just kill, I would kill Mame to be a premiership player. I think we all would. It's, it's probably not been put like that. A premiership player will tell you it's great and we just wanted to win one more. Ron Barassi famously said to me, yeah, 64 was our worst premiership. <laughs> <laughs> you know, eight, yeah, six. How many have you got? 10, 12. Uh, for us, not getting one is, is awful. But yes, of course. I was sitting having a coffee with my boy um, before he was about to go and play basketball and an old fella walked over me, a um, feeble old fella, and he said, I was a Richmond supporter. Uh, I am a Richmond supporter, but I have to tell you, Robbo, you were a bloody good footballer and I loved watching you play. You're an absolute superstar. Can I shake your hand? And I shook his hand and he walked away and I looked at my boy. <laughs> that was a big moment. Yeah. He kind of looked at me and he sort of gave me the high five. <laughs> All I ever wanted was for someone to say he was a good footballer. That's really all I wanted. I didn't want fandom. I didn't want superstar stuff. Uh, I was just in awe of everybody around me. Um, for someone to say that about me was what I wanted. And people do say that about me. He's a good footballer. And, and that's great. That is just – that makes me feel so good because I remember my dad growing up always saying about good footballers then, he's a good footballer. Yep. I wanted that. And I got that, so got to take that. Best and Fairest is great as well. Never, Who would have thought a inconsistent plucky Tasmanian forward, half-forward flanker, they're not even kicking it to me, to win a Best and Fairest of the oldest footy club in the world. Um, it's, it's a feather.
1: You're also a bit stiff to not have Coleman medalist added to that list. Because in 2005, you kicked 73 goals. Now, if we went back between now and 2010, that would win the Coleman every year with the exception of the Josh Kennedy
0: years. So that was a bloody good season as well. And again, a bit stiff. A bit stiff. Timing's everything. Yeah. Timing's everything. I had a great year that year. 73 goals is for a small half-forward flanker. Um, Pretty good, I would have thought. Um, you know, there was a couple of big guys, Gehrig and Hall, that won the, um, that were first and second. Um, to be able to nearly beat them, uh, you'd had to kick the eight or nine goals that day, I would have won the Coleman, which is ridiculous. And look, I don't want the Coleman. I just, I wanted to win a premiership. But um, that year, um, I thought, oh, All-Australian probably be on the cards there. Yeah, so
1: hang on a no, not full Ford. Okay, Ford pocket. Oh, no, half full forward. What? On yeah. the bench? Okay.
0: What? Yeah. Wait, wait, no, you're there. not you're not even. there. What? Couldn't couldn't believe it. I mean, wouldn't you think that the the, the team of the year is the team that – the guys that played well that year. But I think I was told they wanted to see two good years in a row out of me. That's not what it's judged on. Talk to Jared Healy. Oh, I might bring him after this. (laughs) I can't believe it this day. (laughs) But I do look at guys that make it. Um, in the pocket of the flank every year to see how many goals they kicked. And it's 20, 30. It's like, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> so the
1: two best years of your career, 2003 and 2005, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah. 2003 and three, five. I kept first in the best and fairest. And I reckon 2005 was better than my 2003. But Travis Johnson had an amazing year that year. And and midfielders tend to stand out a bit more. And I was able to get second in the best and fairest. For me, that shows consistency that a lot of people said I didn't have. He was effervescent, he was uh, enigmatic, um, he never tackled, he didn't play defensively. Well, you don't win a best and fairest or come second to best and fairest if you don't do those things. And I was able to put those games together and play consistent football for my team, which is what I really wanted to do. I just wanted to be out there with them. Mate, for me, I get I – if I have a another talent, if I have a, a good point to me is that I, I love – being around people's talents, I embrace people's talents. You're great at what you do, and I love it for you, and I love being around it, and I love learning from it. I soak it in. I love being next to Dave Neats. I love being next to Phil Sobrano on stage, watching him play. He's a thousand times better than me, but I don't feel jealous. I just love it. It's great. I'm a part of something elite. One of the greatest moments, Gwenny, was a training session at the Junction Oval. We did a, grand, a drill: threes around the ground. So three on the wing, wings three in in the uh, pointy ends. You kick to one in the middle, handball, handball, kick to the one in the middle, handball, handball. We did this drill for seven or eight minutes, flat out, and we did not drop the ball once. Every kick was perfect. Leading out hard, bang, taking the marks. Handball, hit every time, at pace. Hitting the kick, bang, this far off the ground, all the way for 50 metres, bang, take the mark, handball. I reckon for almost 10 minutes, the ball was Flying around the Junction Oval, not one mistake. And I remember finishing that drill and walking into the the coaches for the next drill just going, that was phenomenal. I was just part of something elite with kids, guys that are all from different corners of this country come together in this one moment to do something. And I know it wasn't a game and it would have been great if it was a grand final to feel that way, but how amazing is that to feel that way about a, a training drill? I just felt so... Honored to be a part of that, and a lot of people don't think that of me. They probably think that I'm more about the specky stuff, and I want to take for myself. No, no, no. I love your talents, and I want to embrace it, and I want to be a part of it.
1: Well, I want to talk about you leading the Ds to two upset victories in both of these games. You kicked seven goals, and these were the two best games I ever saw you play. One was in two thousand and five. One was in two thousand and seven on the Queen's birthday. Which one was your favourite game?
0: Well, I I get. People talk about the Queen's birthday the most because, firstly, the greatest thing you can do in your life is beat Collingwood (laughs) on a big stage. Now, do you know what's funny? My father-in-law is a Collingwood supporter. He's from the western suburbs, but apparently somewhere along the way he met a Collingwood player. I think it might have been. No, actually, I don't know who it was. It, It was enough to make him barrack for Collingwood, and he's been mad Collingwood ever since. So his daughter, who I... Uh, am eternally matched with now, and her kids are Collingwood freaks, right? Just mad Collingwood. So <laughs> he reckons he was at that game. He brings it up every time I see him. Shakes my hand. He goes, "I'll never forgive you for that." <laughs> I could, I could be the worst guy in the world. I could, I could be uh, a terrible husband. He wouldn't care as much as me beating Collingwood that day. That's how mad Collingwood is. He reckons he was sitting in the grandstand going. Someone knocked that Robertson out. <laughs> Why are they letting Robertson do this? Kill him!
1: <laughs> you could do no wrong that day as well. You even, you got away with a push in the back. They didn't take it off you. And just to rub salt in the wound, the siren goes. And you slot your seventh goal from the boundary.
0: <laughs> it was just beautiful. Well, it was. And look, to kick seven is not a huge. You know, we've seen guys kick a lot more than that in games. But for again, a small half forward and. And not necessarily the focal point, and and a game
1: and, you're expected to lose, and in a
0: game you to lose, and and good opposition uh, to kick seven was was good fight. I think. Um Things did go my way. Do you see my look after I I, I think it was uh, who did I push in the back? I can't remember now. It was a, a little hand in the back and a, a bit in the side, but probably in the back. And I quick looked to the umpire to see. What, <laughs> you can tell with a play, he knows he's done something wrong with a little glance to the umpire and the look on my face. But he said, Mark, you'll be all to I went back and slotted the goal. It was a special moment. Then down in Geelong, we hadn't won there since, what, 83 or mm. something like that? So there was something like 20 odd years, th- nearly 30 years since we'd won in Geelong. Now, we played the most down there in Melbourne. We've played more down in Geelong than any other team in the competition. Um, so we'd always lose and the trip back from Cadenia uh, uh, or Skilled or whatever it is at GMHPA now was always the worst. Um, and We had an event that night for Troy Broadbridge uh, to make some money for the family or whatever and um, we were going to go and have a ball that night. So we wanted to win to make it fun and to win in that fashion and for me to kick to seven goals on great opposition in mm. Scarlow, Max Rook, who was I rate as a really hard defensive player, and of course they've got an amazing backline in that era, um, you know, to to kick seven on those guys and have my dad in the crowd. We drove down together, we drove back together, and I just my dad was just beaming the whole way, like, wow. I'm like, how did you do that? And I was just was one of those days. And it was a
1: comfort behind victory as well. So when Geelong were ahead at home, it was a very tough opposition debate.
0: They're, they're the best wins when you're behind and you're not expected to win and, and the feeling is I've won finals, prelims, and it didn't feel like that. You know, sensational feeling and stuff that you, you carry with you for the rest of your life.
1: Your last couple of years at Melbourne were a and unfortunately it was challenging for Melbourne after you left the club. The last three years for the Ds, two wooden spoons and the total win tally, five, three and
0: four – where did it go wrong? I had the opportunity to move clubs um, just before Neil finished up. I was heavily sort of courted by Collingwood. I was um, I had two sit-downs with Rocket Ede, go to the Bulldogs, um, a couple of years later. And um, uh, I decided that being a one-club player, Melbourne, this it's just meant a lot more to me that i come from this small town and this club who'd given me those little practice matches before and then they draft me to get me out of this time I felt like I owed them to stay now I got an extra year offered to me by the Bulldogs three years Melbourne no nah, we can't match that and I still stayed and a lot of people would say oh wow you know I didn't know that and they should say that because they were offering me three four hundred thousand dollars a lot of money back then for another year to stay a bulldog to go to the Bulldogs. And I went for a lot less money to stay at Melbourne because it just meant so much to me to play for the red and the blue. And people had that ideal still. You know, I loved Paddy Cripps for that reason. He could have gone back home. He could have – he stayed at Carlton. Probably paid well, but he stayed at Carlton because he felt like he owed them. Um, those last couple of years were really bad. Um, our team just – we know the the spiral that we went down. Couldn't get it back. I snapped my Achilles in 2008. Uh, I knew I was close to – doing my Achilles, I had tendonitis really bad, living in pain, I couldn't wear shoes the the, the pressure on my Achilles heel was awful and I would had to have injections just to try, train, just a local injection just a little jab, I had to sign a, a disclaimer, I had to sign something to say that it was my decision to have the injection, but we were on the bottom of the ladder and we needed to win and Brad Green and Cameron Bruce and myself, we felt like we needed to play to help this team come get back, right well, i exploded my Achilles in a game, it was always going to happen. And that was me for six months. I came back in 2009, the infamous 2009 year for Melbourne, which will go down in history, is one of the darkest years. And if it wasn't for the Essendon Football Club saga, um, you know, drug, drug scandal, uh, we probably would have got a lot more scrutiny. Uh, but they took that pressure off us a little bit. Um, you know, tanking to lose games to get, you know, picks was... The writing on the wall for me, I came back and I think I kicked two goals in my first game playing on Matty Scarlett. Scarlett said to me out on the middle of the MCG after I'd just taken a mark and kicked a goal, he goes, Mate, you're moving faster than I've ever seen. What's going on, mate? I said, Mate, I feel fresh. He goes, Mate, you're moving really well, jumping well. Great relationship with Scarlett. I have a lot of respect for that guy, he's an absolute ripper. I said, well, I just feel like I'm I'm back. I feel like I could do I just felt like I knew the game better now. Um, I was uh, next week, I think I kicked another two, dropped. Couldn't believe it. It's like why? They didn't even tell me why. Um, I don't want to trample on graves because we know the coach of the guy, the coach at the time is no longer with us, and and you know people that were running the club. I don't want to, you know, ruin their legacies. They've got their own lives to lead. But I just feel like, um, you know, that those years were the darkest hours for the Melbourne Football Club and really set us back fifteen years and ruined the, ruined the careers of a lot of people.
1: And the way they treated the senior players was nothing short of a disgrace. Awful.
0: Awful. James McDonald, we know what happened to him. He's probably the most um, well-known. We all had our little thing at that time. I'd come back. I'd kick two, three, dropped. And basically told, mate, you're not in our plans. We're going to give Liam Jarrah the full forward position because he's going to be our next premiership. We know you're our best forward, but we're going to give Liam Jarrah that job. Just saying, you understand that. That's okay. All right. No worries. So back to the reserves I went. And I should have been in the seniors. I was the best forward. I won the goal kicking from 10 games, uh, leading goal kicking. Now, that's not to say I'm great or anything. It just means that as a senior player on the downward spiral, on the way down, I take Scarlo, okay, as the opposition player. Liam Jarrah can have some other player and he can run around and kick five. I'll take Scarlo, and if we lose, I'll take the brunt of it from the media, not Liam Jarrah. It's too much pressure for a kid and that happened – all around the ground. We had 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds who'd just come into the competition saying, come play a game, and they don't value it. They just think that this is easy, you know, and then all of a sudden they're getting spat on as they're walking off the ground losing by 100-odd points, and I'm not understanding. I've just come from playing under competition where it was fun to this, and it just went all the way down. We know we know the story. It was awful, awful time.
1: And it destroyed a lot of careers. A lot of careers just never eventuated because the yeah. players
0: were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. You need everything to go your way. You really do. You need the best. You need the best help. You need people working for you. I mean, a classic example is our mate Jack Watts, superstar, absolute superstar, and, you know, him and a few other guys should have really been given a better run at it, and they probably, their lives would be different now. I know that my legacy's not as good as it could be because I finished up poorly, but that's okay. I had, You know, I had a, a great career as far as I'm concerned, but, um, you know, some guys that didn't even get a get off the ground, Because, you know, some really poor decisions. And those people that made those decisions, they've made mistakes and they would look back in hindsight and say, we really got it wrong. Um, You know, we've learned from that and we'll never do that again. At the
1: end of 2009, you were not given another contract from Melbourne. Did you think about going to another AFL club?
0: Yeah, like I said, I was out there on the ground running around feeling like I was running on top of the ground. Now, I wasn't known for my defensive prowess. I absolutely agree with that. And, the good and I always say this about good footballers are good because they adapt. Good footballers are good because you tell them to do something, and they'll go and do it. I really wasn't told how to play this new style because it was dawning of a new era. Aaron Davy had created this frontal pressure system um, that other clubs were adopting. And so forwards now, moving up the ground, had to tackle. And we were getting our kicks now running back with the flight of the ball. That, was, that all happened in the year that I was out. <laughs> I came back and I was trying to do the same things. Go, okay, all right, let's work with this a bit. But no one was willing to work with the 31-year-olds and that's fine. Okay, all right, I'll go. But good players are good players because they can adapt and I felt like I could have if I was just worked with and told. Unfortunately, the Gold Coast Suns and GWS were coming in a year and a year after that later. So everyone was trying to buy up as many young kids as they possibly could. They didn't want a 31-year-old (laughs) non-defensive forward. So it was all over. Fortunately,
1: you went to play some more footy, though, and had some fun and some success along the way.
0: Absolutely. I played for the Doveton uh, Eagles and the Southern Football League for a couple of years. Uh, We won won a couple of premierships there, premiership success that I always wanted. They were the only two that I ever got. I played down in Tassie for my old club, Bernie, for a few years, just off and on. I've played all over the place and I've met some amazing people. And do you know what? As much as the the jibes and the the harrowing sort of remarks from over the boundary line were awful, on the field, it was amazing. What, playing local footy? Local footy just – Copping it everywhere. Really? I went. Oh, like, yeah. like what? Any reason, or you specifically? Was it just, just tall, poppy tall poppy syndrome? poppy because they knew my name. And I'm speaking to Maverick Weller, who played for the Gold Coast Suns and Gilda, uh, who's coaching my local team back in Penguin for a few years. He's not coaching this year, but he's given it up too because he just can't cop the abuse. Anymore. Are you kidding me? It's awful, mate. And I, and I really mean this. And we all keep quiet about it because we're supposed to just cop it, um, but. There was one particular day I was playing for my old mate Daniel Ward's team, um, Monbulk, up, uh, up in the mountains, the Dandenongs area. And um, I can't remember, I don't, I don't want to say the team or whoever it was, but this particular day, from the moment I stepped on the grass to the moment I stepped off it, it was all I heard was my name. And you end up hating your name because all you hear is "Robo," you this and that, "Robo," 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 "Hey, Robo," you drop the "Oh, Robo," how much for that kick? You know all that stuff. But some that was the that's nice. What I heard was just disgusting, right? Foul language, and you have got kids just walking past, young kids hearing that because of me. Why would I do this? You know, why would I do this to? This is supposed to be a family-friendly. Fun place, and it was almost hatred. That's why I've hated this, this, um, this Ashes series because of the fan involvement. It's dis, just disgraceful. You know, we shouldn't be doing that to these athletes. Anyway, that's just my complaint. This one particular day, I copped it all day. As I'm walking back to my car, I could see the group standing the around a fire pit. Like, yep. you know, one of those forty-four gallon drums. They'd been there all day, on the cans. As I'm walking past them to get to my car, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've got to walk past them. They're still here. One of them turns to me and goes, Robbo, can we get a photo with you, mate? And I'm the nicest guy, mate. I'll I'll look. I really am. I'll look after you. I'll do anything for you. If you want a signature, if you want Max Gorn's signature, I'll try my guts out to get it for you. But this is the one time in my life I told someone, no, nah, not after that. No way. There is no stinking way I'm going over anywhere near you. Uh, it was awful, but anyway, that's that's local football for you. You, you, you cop it if you're an AFL player. That's
1: disappointing. Back. I didn't know that because yeah. you would think that would be such a highlight having these AFL players, and it would be a <laughs> highlight for so many people, especially the kids. So yeah. the fact you've got a couple of dickheads that ruin it for everyone.
0: Well, you got the Footy Club playing a bit of cash to have you. Yeah, and the reason they have you play is because you. I'm out there, honest to God. Playing on someone, and I love it, there was some footage of Ruffy doing this playing in the reserves when he was on the way out for Hawthorne. Yep. He was trying to teach the young fella a little bit about back play. If you're playing on me here, I'd be trying to lead there. You need to get there. I did that out on the ground with you. The, and, and these guys that I'm playing on had such respect for me. They'd always be like, I'll buy you a beer after the game. I love that. Yeah, they'd be into me a bit too. You know, there's some guys that would use that other way, but that's sport. And you expect, always, let's have a beer after the game. The crowd was just awful. Awful stuff. And, yeah, it, it does detract. And I reckon a lot of guys just don't do it for that reason.
1: I didn't know that. That's very disappointing to mm. hear. Mm. What's not disappointing is your music career because <laughs> we know you as a star footballer and a star musician. So that's something that's obviously a big part of your life now and
0: hopefully a bigger part going forward. So on the weekend I played a gig with Phil Sobrano and my band uh, at the Trevor Barker Oval um, for the Sandy East Sandringham Zebras Junior Football Club. They had a fundraiser i up on stage and we're playing, uh, I think it was Guns N' Roses, um, Sweet Child of Mine, and the crowd is just loving it. They're up dancing, Phil's shredding on the guitar. and I'm looking around just going, how good is this? This is the best, you know. My dad said to me when I was about nine, you're going to go and do piano lessons um, and you're going to learn music. And the reason is I'm teaching this footy thing. But when you can't play footy anymore, you can still entertain people by playing music. Those are the exact words he said to me. And so prophetically on the weekend, I'm doing it. And his words are ringing in my ear. Loving life, playing music, shredding on a guitar, which is what I love to do. I love playing the guitar. I'm at home. I see a guitar. I've got to pick it up. I've got to play it. I've got to sing. I love it. Um, so dad, again. You know, really sorting my life out for me. Uh, it's it's just the, it's the joy, really. It's so much fun. Adrenaline different to playing footy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's football for me comes naturally. Uh, I just was able to do it. It just sort of happened, you know, and progress. And I find found it quite easy to do. Music's really challenging, but it's not in front of eighty thousand people. Yeah. Well, not yet. Well, anyway. It can be. <laughs> it can be if you keep at it, Robbo. Um, uh it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. It really is. And and music in a band, it's kind of like being part of a football team as well. We're all trying to make each other sound good. Football, we're all trying to make each other. That's why I love footy. Football, you have to pass the ball. You're in a forward line. I'm 70 meters out. I've got to kick it to you and I've got to find a way to kick it to you. Music, guitar, Is a bass player. I've got to work in with what you're doing to make this sound good. That's the great thing about Aussie rules football. It's a big ground and we as a team, one person can't do it. I don't care how good you are. One person can't do it. Buddy Franklin, you can't do it alone. I need everybody else to be able to work together to get it to this position, to get it to that position, to pass, to pass, to pass. Basketball, it's, look at me, I'm scoring. That's what I hate about basketball. You know, there's not enough focus on the past, the John Stockton maybe why I got those shorts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love footy, Need though. to track those shorts down. Now, come on, give you, give yourself a plug. If someone wants to hear you
0: play or book you for something, how do they do it? Well, we're the best on-ground band. Uh, we are on, obviously, that show um, on Fox Footy, and um, we've done a lot of corporate events for 10 years, and uh, you can get a hold of me just by finding me on Facebook and finding me on, you know, I don't have a web page or anything like that. You don't have like Twitter that. anymore. You stopped tweeting. What's uh, going on there? Well, isn't it a new name now? What is it? It's, it's X. X or something. How <laughs> to get your
1: back, Rob? Oh, you've got 10,000 followers wanting to hear from you. i better
0: get back. It's reason why, do you know why I'm not on Twitter? can't remember my password. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so old. We'll help you out <laughs> with
1: that. Now, final question. You're doing some great work with Ladbrokes through the arguments over coffees. You've had some superstar guests. Who's been one that's been different than you thought they'd be?
0: Love Lab brokes, love this job, love what we're doing right get now. Get him a I'm pay rise. Love the coffees segment. Um, we came up with this idea that having an argument's great fun, uh, but Aussies do it different. You and I argue. We're not getting real angry and over the top. We're having a good back and forth. You're taking the mickey out of me. That's what Aussie blokes do when they get to the pub or at the footy club or whatever, and we love it. You know, with a band on the weekend, it was how much – mickey can we take out of each other and you just feel that acceptance so being able to catch up with all these ex-footy players that we have this same connection with um this this i don't know this same past this same history um it's just been the most fulfilling thing uh having a laugh with guys that that, uh lived the pain of, of of afl football i say pain it was it was great fun but um Dougie Hawkins was great fun. Mm. Having to sit there with him and listen and just laughing at all his jokes, (laughs) so good. Your question is, though, who surprised you the most? There's been a couple. And I know you and I caught up with Danny Southern. He was a killer.
1: He was unbelievable. He was just a gentle, lovely,
0: soft person. I wanted to hug him. I thought I'd be scared of him. Blown away by that and... You know, good luck to his boy too. He's coming through the ranks. uh, could be a good footballer. Danny Southern, when I played on him, I was scared, Mm. genuinely scared. And there's been not many that I've been genuinely scared of. He looked like a madman. You know, the teeth were literally – one tooth was out, you know, that haircut. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, But, no, you catch up with him and he's an absolute ripper. Glenn Archer is – I think a lot of people probably do know this now – They've seen footage of him seeing his son get uh, his first game. Uh, if you haven't seen that, uh, find that. It's it's really great. Um, he gets called up and uh, dad, I'm playing my first game. Watch the reaction. Um, the nicest guy, so gentle, almost a sweetheart, but on the field, he's a killer. And it's kill or be killed. You know what I mean? Like not, not dirty, Ball's there, it's you and me and I'll kill you to get it. That's Glenn Archer on the football field over that white line. Sit down with a coffee, softly spoken, really great to see, you, you know, just beautiful, makes you feel warm. So that's been great for me to catch up with guys like that. The other one, and I know you and I you know this as well, we were over in Perth together and we caught up with um, the, the pest from Fremantle. He was the, the biggest pest of all time. Hayden Ball- I don't think Hayden Ballantyne could be beaten in terms of pest. Maybe Tony Shaw.
1: But I uh, Ballantyne would be definitely on the podium, maybe the gold there. medal winner. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Really nice guy, right? Really nice guy. But on the field, you want to shoot him. <laughs> 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 Sat down, had a great coffee with him, talked about his life and what he's doing, just a genuine bloke who's just, uh, you know, got out in the field and played to his strength, which was to annoy you. And now he's a horse trainer. And he's a horse trainer and doing some good things over there and, in the West. And you wouldn't know it. too. So we all retire into, you know, not all of us stay in the media or anything like this. He's just retired in into the – he's off into the abyss and doing his thing out there, which is great. He still loves his Fremantle Footy Club.
1: Russell Robinson, you're a living legend. Thanks for having a chat today. It's
0: It's nice to talk about myself. And I'm always talking about other people. This is great. Thank you for allowing me to stroke my ego. Need
1: more airtime for (laughs) Robbo. Thanks, Chris. Hey lads, a guy in the community reckons we take the overs. Do we trust him? Well, his username is Big Stats Guy. Say no more. Connect with a community of like-minded punters. Only in Labros communities. Ts and C's apply and available on website. What are you really gambling with?